Hello and welcome to my podcast, Michaela Wayne Interviews. Today I will be interviewing Rav Wilding, ex-military, ex-police officer and star of Crime Watch. So welcome, Rav Wilding. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> now, thanks so much for coming. Now, um, Rav, first of all, I'm going to ask you a quick fire round. We do this with everyone. Okay. Uh, just a couple of questions to see where you're at in life and politics. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so football or rugby? Rugby. Gym or sofa? Gym. Brexit or remain? Oh, do you know what? I, I'm going to have to give you an answer, haven't I? Yes. And I genuinely do not know. <laughs> um, uh, remain? Okay. Um, car or motorbike? Motorbike. Siri or Alexa? Mm, Alexa. <laughs> University or work experience? Work experience. North or South? South. <laughs> Army or police? Oh, um, uh, Army. Good man. Reality TV or documentary? Documentary. Donald Trump or Sadiq Khan? Sadiq Khan. Perfect, that's it. You're past with flying. Oh, is that it? That's hard, you know. <laughs> yeah. That is really hard, isn't it? When you've got to come up with one answer. Yeah, and you can't give an excuse yeah. for it. There's no reason behind it. Yeah, there's no... Yeah. The Brexit I remain, though. Everybody's been like, oh, I don't know what to say. I, I genuinely don't. I genuinely don't. Did you vote at the time? I did vote, uh, and I voted, I voted to remain. Oh, did um, you? I did at the time. And now it's at the stage where I genuinely don't know what what's right and and what isn't yeah. and i feel when you hear these politicians talking now for me it's like i've turned up on episode eight of a box set and i've watched episode one and i haven't watched anything in between and they're they're talking about stuff at the end of the series yeah. that i don't understand and yeah. that's where it is with brexit now for me i, I think don't know what's that's right. so everybody felt even just right in the beginning yeah <laughs> like yeah. no nobody yeah. knew what was going on ever and really i did vote brexit and i would vote it again um but really i voted brexit and i didn't know what i was doing mm -hmm. and secondly um the only reason i would vote it now is just because i believe in democracy and i think if they don't stick to what they've said, mm -hmm, then what mm -hmm. is the point in ever? Yeah, and I, and I totally get that. But presumably you would have based at least some of your decision on, on a sort of business point of view and how it would affect smaller businesses yes. and these businesses, where that's something that I've since learned since making the vote about that because I didn't understand any of that. And it's yeah. only small business owners that I've spoken to that have said, you know, this can really kill my business yeah. because I get everything from, from outside. So there's lots more to it. And yes. um, yeah, it's a, it's a mess. That's what it is. It is a right wrong mess. They need to get over it soon. So I ask everybody on the podcast because I just like to know where people sit. But pretty much everybody's like, yeah, I'd vote this, but I don't know why. And mm -hmm. nobody mm -hmm. still understands it. So we'll leave that to the politician. I mean, it should have been left to them in the first place, yeah. shouldn't it? Yeah. Um, now, let me find out more about you and your yeah, career. Yeah. Okay. So upon leaving school, you went into dry lining. Yes, so something you'll know a lot yes, about in, in construction. But yeah, so those that don't understand dry lining is anything to do with a plasterboard. So um, it could be it could be partition walls, it could be ceilings, it could be um, what used to be called sort of artex on the ceilings. Anything like that, I, I did an apprenticeship and I was actually the first person in the country to do the official apprenticeship in it. Oh, really? I wasn't very good. I was rubbish. <laughs> so I did it and I got the qualification, um, but I knew pretty early on it, it probably wasn't going to be my, my lifelong career. And um, I was very young. I was only 16. So so why did you choose that and not 
Because college. I, uh, well, I didn't get very good grades um, when I left school. I didn't get any real grades. And it wasn't until many years later I realised it's because I'm quite severely dyslexic and also oh, dyspraxic, yeah. which is a sort of hand-eye coordination disorder. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that till many years later, and that explained so much. So there wasn't really that much that was open to me as a 16-year-old. Um, but this job came up, and they offered this apprenticeship which would mean I still get a good qualification off the back of it but it wasn't all academic so that's what appealed to me um so I did that and I got the qualification and it, it was it was fine but then the army was sort of appealing to me more because why is it in your family was it no no one in my family were, were, were from the military but for me it was I was always into my rugby I loved playing rugby and you know, you see these posters and the, and the films saying, you know, you can play your sports in the army and you can still do that yeah. and we'll take you around the world and all this. And I just love being around my mates. Yeah. And, and the thought of being with my pals and, uh, you know, being able to do some sport, keeping fit and being paid for it at the end of the day sounded great. So I had all the interviews and before I knew it, I'd signed up to the army and, and off at I 16, went. 17, 17, 17. So, so it's still young. Yeah, I had my 18th birthday when I was in training. Oh uh, put a card up and then uh, the sergeant major threw, the, threw that down you know, no, not that down like skills you don't have those in here I was like alright well that's me told <laughs> so and yeah so that, then, that was me so then when you're 17 in the army you know you can't be an official what do they call them officers is it um, no so you, you can join at 16 but it's not until if you're 18 or over you can go off to active service that that right. was really the, the cut off so you're so, still in England while you're yeah yeah I was, I, I, I was always UK when I was always in the military because no conflicts were actually happening when I was when I was in which it sounds really kind of morbid but it's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't actually get to experience to it. do and yeah, did you do, do that. now so then? I did four years and just before, well, the reason I, I left was I got quite a nasty injury. I broke my leg pretty badly. And um, basically the, they said, you can't ever be at the level you, you were at. You would have to be what's called medically downgraded to basically a desk job. And I was in a really fit unit. It was a really good unit. And, and I didn't want to do that. And I thought that would that'd be a real step back. And that's not for me. So that's why I, I ended up leaving which was was pretty yeah, tough was that a bit of a killer then? yeah it was because it Did was you, was you enjoying it then yeah I, I was really enjoying it i had some some great guys and and i was in a little unit which was um there was only like 30 of us in the army and we were sort of, it was a specialist air defense unit that we were and a lot of the lads went off to special forces it was like a right. sort of stepping stone if you like and i always wonder like what would have happened if i was able to stay if i could have ever gone yeah. down that road because the lads that that i was talking to even just today i was talking to one of them who managed to do that and have had a really nice long career doing that side of things. So I was a bit gutted in that respect. And to so, be told, I mean, like you've had an amazing career, obviously in the public eye and mm. um, in the police force. So, but you still regret not being able to progress with the yeah, army. Yeah, well. definitely, definitely, because it was a big. I think it's it's the fact that something was taken away from me. Yeah, that's that's what what really bugs me to so this what happened day. With you that day so I was doing a, a selection course for a, for another unit within the army, and basically army mentality you run through injuries that's what you do you run until you you can't run anymore i did exactly that and what i didn't realize was my leg was broken and it finally just snapped in Ooh, three places God, that yeah sorry so um so that's what happens yeah and i was oh, uh, yeah. so then did you have to do you come home straight away because i know you signed contracts don't you with the army yeah i i um i did come home for a few weeks actually because i couldn't i was in plaster for nearly five months um it was a really bad break um but yeah, it was, you know, I went back to, to work and then when, when I was back in the army, I was never the same and my leg 
they measured one of my legs around the thigh was like 25 inches round it was i've got big legs yeah. the other one was under 14 it was like smaller than most people's necks like a lot smaller and it was i couldn't even walk properly for ages there was no way i could get back to where i was and um one thing came along which was um, a recruitment job they asked me would i be interested in recruiting ethnic minorities into the military because you know I'm one myself my dad's uh, a black guy and my mum's white so i thought yeah okay well, i'll do that while i'm sort of doing rehab and that's what i did i went around the country toured all the uk um to the most diverse populations um recruiting people into the ministry that's oh, what i did was that fun though yeah it was really good it's really good and Ellen, did you do that for so that was only um, a few months while I was doing rehab. And then the last job, whilst I was doing that, I then got asked if I'd do something else, which was um, what they call an army youth team, like as an adventure training instructor. So taking students of all backgrounds, whether it was public schools or really deprived inner city schools, put them all together in a set of overalls, take them out doing expeditions and rock climbing, hill walking, oh, really? raft building, all of that. And I really loved that. And I did that until until I finally left the army and... Um, had to go out in the big wide world. Yes, and yeah, then that was scary. <laughs> was it? Yeah, because well, that was my home. I was going to say, everything. yeah. So it's people like when when they come out of prison as well. They feel yeah. really like oh, that, they just don't know yeah. how to deal with the freedom because it's so strict in the area. I didn't have to to pay bills. I didn't have to pay council tax. You know, it was all done. It was taken out of my pay. I I didn't have to yeah. worry about anything like that. And suddenly I had to find somewhere to live, and I had to. I had to find a job. I had to find all these things. And I, I remember I had two weeks left before I left the army and I was like talking to the guys at breakfast. I said, guys, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got nothing. I'm going to be homeless in two weeks. I literally haven't got anywhere to go. And there was a clerk who, who was a civilian, but she, she was attached to the unit I was at. And she said to her, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to overhear you, but I, I couldn't not hear what you were saying. My husband has been trying to get into... Um, security at Harrods the, the post store in London um, but he's too short and they only want six foot tall ex-military guys and um, that, that's you you know so oh, would you consider applying to them and I was like I've never even set foot in that shop in my life but thank you and I did and I applied and, and sure enough before I knew it I got offered the job of working on the doors there at Harrods yeah. with all the, the stars coming in the rich and famous uh, and working there so I managed to get a job and, and, and that saved me and that's what I did before the police. You were, so, okay, I worked, so you did, yeah. you worked in security. So then how long was you? So I was, I was only there for probably about, uh, probably about eight months, nine months just until my police, yeah, just, just working there to get a job whilst my police application went through. Right, okay. Um, so you knew when you come out of the army, you was like, oh. I wanted to, I wanted to go in the police. Why, yeah. why, why would you have a passion well, for that? My, my grandfather was a police officer. Ah, right, okay. Um, and he, he was, he's no longer with us and he, he died many, many years ago, but he, he always was so proud of of the pictures of him in the police and my yeah. grandmother he's so his wife my gran she was also in the police oh, and okay. and they never got to see me do it and i that's another thing like I, I would love to do it because it was such a big part of of, of their lives yeah uh, but they never got to see me grow up and never got to see anything so i thought that'd be a nice thing you know for, for me to have that passion as well and yeah. to do a job that they were so proud of and then, so this dyslexia, just mm. to touch on that that you had as well, I, I got diagnosed <clears throat> with dyslexia about two years ago. So I, I got through school. My exams weren't that bad. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, in an era that I went to school, like, whatever, 20 years ago or something. So then it just wasn't as much no, of a thing. Like, now at, at least there's awareness mm -hmm. a bit and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But with something like dyslexia in those days when you was getting into the police, what about the application? Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. Um and in the police, I, I don't know about other forces, but in the Met where I was, 
you have 18 weeks is the first block of training. Every single week there's an exam and every single week you must get 70% or more to progress to the next week of training. Mm. And if you don't, you get sent back or, or kicked out. I was borderline, borderline every single time. And I would sit up, everyone else would go out at night and do their own thing. I wouldn't, I'd sit in my room and I'd struggle and struggle through all the, all the notes trying to get through this next exam. And the, the worst thing was when the instructors would say to me, you're not trying that's why your marks aren't good enough because they yeah. didn't have a clue and it when I finally like you I was diagnosed formally not that long ago um it's almost like a weight off my mind because I thought that explains everything yeah, why you struggle yeah so while much. I was struggling yeah. and the worst thing was it was multiple choice exams so one word would be different in in each of the four possible answers and when you've got dyslexia that's kind of the worst thing because yeah. you skim over it your eyes think they've seen something when in fact they've probably read something completely different yeah yeah 100%. so yeah it was it was hard they actually picked up um in fairness to them in the police they did actually say you've got a lot of dyslexic tendencies we think you are dyslexic and it didn't really help me but it, it kind of you know said said we think you've got that and then when I was formally diagnosed yeah absolutely it was all there so yeah it's just a bit of a relief and I was mm. diagnosed at 19 with obsessive compulsive disorder oh, really? instead of dyslexia yeah. though, because it was they were saying I was obsessing um because I would have to read the page three times and it just wouldn't go in my mind I, I was reading it and it just it just was not in my yeah, head what, yeah. what I was reading so I was reading and reading everything so in the end it was when I was at university they gave me a longer in my exams but they said it was OCD but two years ago they said to me actually that's a form of dyslexia it is and that's that's how I read now if I get scripts and, I, and I've given something and I've got to try and memorise the script oh, my yeah. eyes will go over it and over it and over it so now what I do I um well for years actually I've come up with an idea where I, I read the, the, the phrase and I'll put pictures in my head of of what it is like really extreme pictures so for example i was doing a series called helicopter heroes which was about the air ambulance and i'd be talking about this this is a fully equipped surgery flying a mile up in the air and i literally picture a surgery a hospital like the leeds general hospital flying in the air yeah. so that that triggers it in my head and i'm thinking of that so when i'm delivering the lines i'm thinking of the most extreme yeah, pictures. that must be so, so difficult hard. so so, so like hard. i don't really read books anymore i do occasionally try oh to be honest it sends me to sleep so i'll read a page and mm. it must just take but so much energy yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> just get same, home. Same. but mm. i i have um all the audio books now and if i if i listen to something i can learn anything you know it's completely really? fine but yeah. reading is just an absolute yeah. I'm with Longer. you on that. And so obviously it's always highlighted in business as well. Thank God now for spell check on everything. <laughs> else. I've just seen that in such an Well, that's something in the police. We didn't have spell check. You weren't allowed it. Oh, really? So when you're doing all these reports that are legally binding reports, you don't have spell check. I mean, how crazy is that? Oh my God. So how did you get on with that? Well, we <laughs> someone found a way of, of managing to put things on Word and then basically cut and pasting it. Ah, right, which, okay. which is not, it's not legal, but... Why couldn't you just give us a way of having a spell check? Because yeah. then what happens? You go to court and you get some snotty nosed barrister ripping you apart in there for your spelling and whatever, trying to trying to make you feel bad. Yeah. You know, that's not right. And thank God, though, now that it is a thing. Like people yeah. have dyslexia yeah, and it yeah. is very common, yeah. and people can actually get diagnosed and, and yeah. helped with it and and assisted at least. So um, you go into the, the police force and yeah. you end up in what, what was your unit called? So I was in. Um, in South London, uh, in Peckham, is where I started. So a real busy borough. Um, but then I quickly went into the CID. So I was playing clothes for the vast majority of my time there. So I worked on robberies and burglaries and 
then I ended up on what's called the Sapphire Unit, which is all about sexual offences. So um, the real kind of high end of criminality is what I would deal with, and it was it was tough, um, but it was it was pretty rewarding as well. Well, I, do you know what another thing which I'm extremely passionate about, and I'm going to be involved in a charity <coughs> episode later on this year to help girls who have suffered from sexual abuse mm -hmm. in, in one way or another, um, and giving advice to victims. Do you not think? And how does it make you feel as a police officer when you, you investigate, you've got a crime, something's gone on, you do all the investigation, somebody gets found guilty and then they get convicted mm -hmm. and they get 18 months and they've raped someone. Uh, do you know, it's... Just like how you have taken, just because you have not killed that woman or man, you have taken somebody's life mm -hmm. away from them. That is it. They're never going to be the same human being ever again because of what that person has done. So how is 18 months probably serving nine justified? It's just... Uh, well, that, that's that's if they get a jail sentence at all, you know. there's mm -hmm. We used to have so many... Like, as a police officer, you can only do so much. A lot of what the eventual outcome is is to do with the, the, the lawyers, the CPS and the courts. It's, yeah. not, it's not the police. Police can only charge someone and put them before the court. I used to find that so frustrating because I had so many cases where without going into too many details, they would, they, would, they would try and draw it out for months, if not years, before it gets to a trial. And they would, the defence would try every trick in the book to try and draw it out, knowing full well that eventually that victim is probably going to go, do you know what? Just traumatised. Just leave yeah. it, just leave it. And I had, I had victims of crime that the evidence was absolutely stone bonker that it was that person that did that crime. And the victims, by the time it got to court, had moved away, had set up a new family, pregnant with a baby, with a new partner, they'd settled, at, and they don't want to re relive all that. They don't yeah. want to be dragged through the court and whatever. So the whole case gets dropped. And that person that you know did that. I just free. feel like the system is complete, and I appreciate police officers can only do what they can do. Mm -hmm. Solicitors can only do their part mm -hmm. of what they can mm -hmm. do. But the system in general, and th there was something that happened um, up north in Rochdale where there was a ring of, mm -hmm. of paedophiles, mm -hmm. and um, only a certain amount of them got arrested, and some of them are actually out now. Funnily enough, I did a tweet about it today, not expecting this conversation. Um, and they're just out now roaming the streets of Rochdale again after, and there was over 49 victims. Um, see, they made a TV program about it. And it was just focused on three girls, but there was over forty nine victims who now all live in that same area and have to see the people who have done yeah. this to them every single day. I think that the legal system in general it needs. I mean, it's so old. That's yeah. the thing. It's so old and it needs updating. I mean, can you believe that in a trial you could have a trial? I know someone personally. I'm not going to name her now, but I, I know someone personally who was a witness in a in a murder trial. And she was queuing up to go into court with the suspects of that murder and She's get her and, and, and the family getting abused. I mean, that is just, how can that even happen? It's insane, I know. Yeah. And I had it. I had it where uh, a guy who was GBH'd, uh, which is the worst kind of assault, you know, grievous bodily harm, him and his family were doing the same. And they were queuing up and, and they said that we're not coming back tomorrow because we've got to queue up with those suspects that are calling us every name under this. And I, I genuinely didn't know that happened. And I arranged for them to then come in through the secret judge's entrance. Um, so that didn't happen again. But Who is why, it just not why does it, have two entrances? Exactly. <laughs> why, do, why does it have to take that? I think I think like it needs some serious, serious... I mean, the, the thing which I'm most concerned about, just because I've done a lot of studying uh, in mm. that area, I've had exposure to that area, is um, 
you know, victims of, of abuse. And I just think, how can you, mm-hmm. when they are so traumatized, be be even in, they shouldn't have to be in the same courthouse. They shouldn't, why do yeah. they have to be in the same building? Like, move the jury about if that's what you Let them record it. Why do they need to sit there and be torn in two yeah. of solicitors as well? Like, who, nobody wants to do that, even if it was somebody been beat up, but something like a sexual offence or a murder, something like this. How is there not a better suited punishment if there is a hundred percent evidence there's dna they know that mm-hmm, this person mm-hmm. is the person who's done it how are they not just that i mean why is it going to court we know they know you've done it you've got the dna That's, evidence like. it's and, just... and that, I, i've had exactly that i've had exactly that where the dna is there and it couldn't have come from any other way and still that, on technicalities it doesn't get to court uh and, and it will get dropped it's just it's it is, unbelievable it is it's, yeah. it is insane yeah. i think there's just something there's some but then it's like who even changes this i don't have a clue i'm not into politics at all but there must be somebody somewhere who can mm-hmm. say like let's change this or let's even increase the sentencing so that if you are going to go for all that and you are successful to even get to the point of court and you're not too traumatized and you can stand mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. that they do longer than 18 months yeah well i mean that's that certainly does sound very 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 short and and just in answer to that i i do remember when i was in the police and we had a i had a 21 year old who lured two girls back to his place and then ended up without going into detail committing a rape against two individual girls on two different occasions and uh i I took that one to the old bailey and he got uh 14 years oh god 14 years at 21 year old you know it seems like when they're when they're really in the public eye because i know that there was one recently i forget the man's name now he was arrested um but there was a man just going around the country did you hear about it and he he raped like 17 women from all ages like one was an old lady and this is just recent a couple of weeks ago and um he started off in london and went all the way up north and he and he finally got caught and he was he was kidnapping women and just raping them and and then leaving them to it and so for something like that you know it's been in all the papers he's going to get 20 25 years there's going to be something good but i I think just as a standard the the i I don't think the punishment is harsh enough and i wondered as a police officer because obviously you will have been involved with some of these victims and on a deeper level as well and and have the understanding done the interviews Mm -hmm. and understand the victim to you is that like a bit of a killer where you think oh my i've done all this work massively massively yeah absolutely because you put all that work in but it's not it's not the fact that you've done the work it's the fact you've got someone's life in your hands yeah and And they trust in you and if somebody's going to open up and talk to you whether it be you know a a rape a murder whatever it might have been if they're coming in trusting you it's very difficult to trust somebody at that point and they're telling you everything and then it doesn't go their way then you're like oh i was yeah i was on it it's the, do you know what though that from my police time i think one of the best things is when you do get that guilty guilty verdict at court and you do get that person's taken away straight away for a, for a big long jail term yeah. and, the, and the victims and the family turn around and just give me a massive hug and, yeah. and that relief that is something i always remember so that's so it like can happen that's your positives yeah. of the police yeah it? that's why yeah. you so would I'll take that you were in there for years yeah it was uh, eight and a half eight and a half years so it was a fair, a fair time yeah you did um you did a lot of good then i guess yeah i try and think <laughs> i hope so <laughs> but that's like a really that's an intense job that yeah. the unit that you was on then it's not a oh it was hard it's... like we would go you know you go to work and you don't know when you're coming home and sometimes i'd go to work on a monday and not come home till wednesday night literally sleep for an hour under my desk uh, there was mouse traps everywhere and what it was disgusting really? in the office yeah absolutely and you if a job comes in you're there till it's done and 
you know, sometimes once a job came in on on Christmas Eve, and I was with my my mate, and he's like, "Oh, you go, go on, go home. I'll, I'll deal with this, and I'll I'll go home tonight." He didn't go home to Boxing Day. He missed all of Christmas oh, because God, he was stuck dealing with this job. That's just what happens. It's that kind of job. So yeah, it was pretty intense for eight eight years. Yeah. And then, so then, at what point was you like, "Ah, oh, do you know what? I've had enough of it. I've done my bit." Nah. <laughs> UK. Well, you know, I did. Um, my first ever TV job was uh, was this. It was a reality show um, called Eden. It was a middle show of Shipwrecked, which was which was already running. And instead yeah. of doing it on an island, they decided to do it in a in a jungle. And uh, or a rainforest, and I applied for that. And and what happened was there was another series that was on called Survivor, which was uh, a, a sort of challenge show yes. where you the the winner would get a million pounds. And I applied for that show, and someone from that I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but someone that was going to work on that wasn't heard about it and said, look, why don't you apply for this this one that's going to be for Channel Four and it's going to be on this in this rainforest. Um, because we definitely want you for that and you you know you might not get this other one but we, we're going to guarantee that you get this show and it's going to be really similar and they basically sold it to me as the same thing yeah. so I took the Channel 4 one which ended up being nothing like Survivor whatsoever and and I ended up spending nearly three months in a, in a rainforest getting bored out of my nuts I was just going to say was it a good experience no, I mean it was alright but I was there was nothing to do it was just like I wasted away I came back about 10 stone I was so oh, really? skinny yeah and, and what was the people like is it like reality TV now where everybody's just probably extra? not what it's like today I mean there were, there were characters still of course that's how you that's how you cast for these things um, but there was a mix there was a mix of people um, a couple went and did bits and pieces on, on TV um One's quite a successful voiceover artist now, a guy called Johnny Pitts. He, I hear his voice all the time. <laughs> you were like a nice northern twang, oh, so you'll pick oh, him out, yeah, yeah Sheffield boy. <laughs> so he's doing well. Um, but yeah, it was you know it was a good experience, and it got me. And so was you, you were still in the police. At yeah, I was. Time. Yeah, I, I was in the police and just took a few, a few months unpaid from from the. So police. why would you, was you just like oh I want a bit of fun? I just uh, wanted to do. Yeah, I think so. I think it was the police. I was only a kid, you know. I was 22 when I joined the police. And although I'd been in the army, I was still young. Yeah. And, and that's a heavy job. And I lived on my that? own all, all the time. And I'd, I'd, I'd work, go home and sleep, work, go home and sleep. I literally had no other life. And then yeah. the thought of going and spending three months in the sun, you know, doing this Carefree. thing. Yeah, I thought, you know, there was no money in me. I wasn't getting paid by anyone. But I thought this would, this would, be, this would be great. And, and that's why I did it. And <laughs> it wasn't that great. <laughs> it was alright. So then you come, out, you come out, and then you was like, ah, oh, that that wasn't. Well, it was fun. a nightmare because I came out, and then and then I'd go straight back to the police, and and I was next minute chasing drug dealers down the street and in, in, in <laughs> oh Camberwell, and I remember grabbing this guy running away from me, this drug dealer. He turned around, he's like, ah. Oh, Man, oh no! Wait until I have to tell everyone in prison who's nicked me. It's that guy, like of the <laughs> of the show. I know, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess it kind of kind of works. He came quietly. Yeah. But he was more worried about that than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> than actually being arrested. Yeah, <laughs> who's arrested? Exactly him? about the fact that right, it's quite a serious offence. He got yeah, he got twelve months for that. Anyway, and then from there. Um, it was probably about a year later that the Crime Watch um, team came looking for a new police presenter to work on that program, and my colleagues were like, "Look, mate, this is this is up your street. Why don't you?" So, why, why did you, you hear about it? Did they come to they, the police? No, they they there was an advert that one of them had seen online somewhere. Oh, right. um, I I didn't get it, but they said this is up your street because you did this TV show a year or so ago, and you know this was still a police presenter, so I wouldn't be leaving the police. I'd still be 
on duty, if you like, just happens to be in a studio. So that's what happened. They wanted someone oh, for the twentieth like anniversary. Oh, I thought you wasn't in the police then. Yeah, when you... yeah, I did it for three years unpaid. Oh wow! So I did it um, as a police officer. Yeah, I just went up and uh, I did all the screen tests with everyone else. There was loads of them, and then they whittled it down and down and down until eventually I was lucky enough to be given the job and and then got j literally just thrown in at the deep end. So then, how, again, how difficult would that be? So obviously, when you're presenting, then I'm presuming you're reading art cues. Yeah, there was, well, it's a, it's a bit, bit of both. You do read Autocue, um, but also some of it's sort of ad-libbed, as they, as they say, but it's um, it's mostly Autocue for that police presenter sort of role. Yeah, it was hard. And it was so hard because... you well to get that. Yeah, it's really hard. So I, I would get the script earlier. I mean, you, you when I started, it was a different place to where it is now. Like now, I'm, I've been in it so long. They know me, they know how I work, they know how to, things that help me, things that... Back then, I was... Honestly, it was like I was a spare part. Nobody wanted me there. That's how it felt. Really? Yeah, nobody wanted me there. It was like everyone would go off to an operational briefing before the show. I'd be sat in the dressing room, like literally waiting. Everyone had meals given to them. I got a, a sandwich from WH Smith for my dinner. That's, that's nice, especially with you being like the face of it. No, that's, that's just how it was when I started. It was very, very different. Very like different. Because I was TV? a police presenter. I wasn't a a TV presenter, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's, Philip yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting experience, very, very different, but, um, yeah, it was tough because it, you, you got someone shouting in your ear when you do live telly, counting down from two minutes or whatever it is until zero and you must come out on that time. So when you've got someone shouting in your ear and you're trying to read something and it's, you know, it's going at a different speed to your normal reading pace or whatever yeah. it is, there's a lot going on. And yeah, the yeah. fact that you're live as well. I know, um, that takes yeah. techers, doesn't it? Yeah, it was, it was kind so of... So imagine then, like, every presenting job ever after that was just been like, yeah, it was, so easy. Yeah, after that, <laughs> it was it Was, was you not concerned? Because, obviously, we, I mean, I'm assuming most people know about what happened with Jill Dando, mm -hmm. who, was, mm -hmm. who was murdered. Um, was it a stalker who, who did this? Um, I don't know if they'll ever get to the bottom of, of, of that whole crime. Um they say it was a stalker, if you're to believe the guy that was convicted, but he's been released and he's been acquitted. So, you know, there, there is no... I didn't actually know that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know what actually happened. I know it was, was awful. Was, did you feel concerned? Like, oh, yeah, God, of course. Like... And I still I still do, because I've had a stalker. I've had a stalker. I had to go to court twice over oh, it. Really? Over this, yeah. And um, that's all in the papers and stuff, but... It's, from crime work. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because I, I get, I'm probably the most recognisable ex-cop going, you know, yeah. and they think of me as the face of the police. And everyone yeah. that's been convicted and put away in prison or punished in any way, shape or form is apparently my fault. So oh I get God. a lot of abuse. Um, I used to get more, actually, but I, I, I get, yeah, I do I do get a lot of abuse. I've had my car smashed up before and um, the police were like, yeah, it's definitely to do with what it was because of the way it happened which we won't go into now but yeah there's there's stuff that happens people are just not as aren't yeah, there I mean yeah. obviously there was not as anyway so it's been sent there and there's something not quite right there but then to come for you like what <laughs> I know it's I mean it's it's part and parcel of, of, of what it is I guess it's it's just one of those things you just have to keep your wits about you and you know make sure you don't put your dress anywhere and whatever but yeah it's not nice it's not nice for the show because all I want to do is find out who's done these crimes yeah. So it's not personal, but there's a crime that's happened. And I just want to find out who it is. Yeah, just me. Don't do but, the crime then. Yeah, I won't come with exactly, you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? Most people are really nice. So I'll take that. And so then 
at this point, then are you like, right, this is what I want. This is the career I want now. I want to be yeah. in the public eye. I want to be on TV or presenting. Or what, which part was appealing um, to you? So what happened was, I never, I never actually thought like that. I was enjoying doing Crime Watch. My job was I was detective. That was it. I'd finish Crime Watch. I'd go back and, and be on duty my next shift, whether it's the next morning at 8 o'clock or that, that night at 10 o'clock or whatever. I, I would be back on duty straight away. And um, I kept getting offered other jobs, uh, TV jobs, which I would turn down naturally because I was in the police. And then the police was changing and there was cuts being made and the job was changing and it was morale was really, really low. And I just thought, you know what, if I never take any of these opportunities, I would genuinely never know if it was something I should have done or not. Yeah. So I took a break from the police and, and took up a couple of these contracts and that was 10 years ago. That's how it happens. And so then you, happens, you're still yeah. on your break from. Yeah. Would you ever go back? I can't go back now. It's been too long. It's been yeah. too long. Yeah, yeah. And you and you love. I guess you love doing what you do. Yeah. Doing. I mean, I, I, do you know what? I, I would have. Yeah. The police only only leave the door open for five years, and now that it's changed, and the role. This is how ridiculous oh, yeah. it is. The role that I used to do as a detective, if I was to rejoin as a detective, I'd now need a degree, to do the same job that I did for eight years. Really. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Yeah, that is nuts. Yeah, Not so I can't now re I couldn't reapply for the job that I've already done. Yeah, well, you And they moan that they haven't got anyone. <laughs> Eight years experience, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I know. I know. So you need to be more intelligent. And so then, so you've done loads. Of, you've done loads of TV stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. What's been your favourite? Um, see, I love doing things that are outside of of my comfort zone you know so like challengey type shows things like that i really love i did one called 71 degrees north where i went out into the arctic and did all these crazy challenges for a month um living out there in in an igloo basically you or like a, living in extreme conditions yeah. then it seems yeah yeah <laughs> so i've done the, done the snow <laughs> i've done the rainforest what else is there yeah so um that was really really good loads of challenges on there i really enjoyed that or I don't know anything where you learn as well. I love learning. So learning you did it, was it Strictly Come Dancing? Yeah, that was kind of early on. I, I think I did that in 2009 or was something like that. Was that like a like really that. good platform for you, that one? Uh, yes and no. Like, yes, it, it is an amazing platform, um, but I don't think I necessarily got the most out of it in that respect. I, I, I mean, I wasn't here very long. I was only here about three weeks. Um, I didn't really have the greatest professional relationship with my dance partner I think it's probably a diplomatic way of saying <laughs> um, I, so I, I didn't learn I just didn't learn anything right okay. um, and then and then it, so yeah, what about the change hard. in social media so this was 10 years ago now anybody who goes on Street Look and Dancing seems to get like a million followers yeah. straight away so but different in those Nothing. days I guess no, it's no, just no, no. not so 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 different back then it was I, I think now it's also if you've got more followers you tend to do very well in those shows because there's more people vote you know yeah it's there's that as well it no it wasn't really a social media thing back then and the show i did isn't the show that it is now as well it was very different mm. was... do you find no i know we spoke about this briefly before we we um, came to record the podcast that not having all the social media following mm -hmm. couldn't prevent you from from getting certain roles or hinder you because it's all now so my brother and his girlfriend have millions of followers so they can just walk into jobs because yeah. they've got all these fans already and they can promote the show they're like walking adverts yeah i um uh, yeah that's a really really good point because that's where we are today but now i've had meetings with uh tv commissioners and execs and and i've seen in their office a, a massive wall of, uh, of pictures of presenters and underneath each presenter, they've got Twitter, 
so many thousand Instagram really? so many thousand That's and so they base their decisions <clears throat> largely on that because they know they're going to get more interaction and more fo- a more sort of a promotion for the show yeah. and that's really kind of hard for someone like me who, who doesn't I don't so have so much of, experience yeah with those and, well. and, and I would rather be given a job because I'm good at the job rather than I've got more followers than, than someone else so I, I find that kind of hard and that's where we are at the moment there's there's a lot of that going on a lot of that yeah and then what do, what do you th- feel then about what would your future plans be um i know again i know we spoke briefly about this before but um you were saying you can't and you get typecast is that is that the typecast, word whereas yeah, I you know so. yeah, you, yeah. you're famous for yeah. being a police officer that's your thing isn't it yeah but so but what would you like to do that isn't well if i could do anything if i could shake a magic wand i would love to do some sort of sports or something in the sort of health or fitness industry i'm a personal trainer i've done all that qualifications as well and i'd like to it's always something that's been really close to my heart all that side of it since before i joined the army and and, and ever since so that's something that i really like to to do something within that that world which is nothing to do with crime yeah um but it's still something that's passionate to me so I'd love to do, yeah, something along those lines. Well, like a presenting programme, are you are you doing it? You've been involved no, in it? No, present, hosting a, a show or a documentary on, on many, many subjects within that. Yeah, you did all, something that you with it. Um, when people are so, they were so obese, they couldn't... Yeah, I do that now, Big Body Squad. That's on Big Body Channel, Squad, Channel that's 5, it. yeah. Yeah, and so, so how do you find that? With you being such, like... So passionate. Yeah, well, that one's just, um, that was just narration. So I was just the voiceover for that. But it was still... The voiceover as me, yeah. you know, still, you know. So um, when I got asked to do it, I was I was actually quite cynical because I thought, you know, it's self-inflicted. It's these people have got themselves to blame, blah blah blah. And I, I clearly knew nothing about it whatsoever. And it wasn't until I started doing the show uh, that I realised that so many of the people on the program, these what what's called bariatric, bariatric these hugely overweight people, most of them, the vast majority, it's not their fault. It's either medicine or an illness. Or uh, there was one guy we had who was a who was a paramedic. He was treating someone at the side of the road. He got hit by a car, broke almost every bone in his body, couldn't move, put on all the weight. So and then I guess when you it in, makes me look at it very differently. Yeah, because I think th- this is it. Obviously, this is a huge topic at the minute as well. You mm-hmm. know, they're putting the mannequins in stores that they're saying are obese mannequins, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. promoting obesity. Is it a thing? Or they're not. Other people are saying they're not obese. It's just normal woman size. Which yeah. I mean, it is. I think it is. It's like a size sixteen or eighteen, which is perhaps on the larger scale yeah. of, of average. Um, and so, like with a program like yours, it's shining a light on the like bariatric people and obviously the really obese people this isn't just the average person who's carrying a little bit of weight but what's what is your opinion of that do you think well i think i mean that does sound quite large but i think we should be a little bit more just reflect the actual population and i think you should do that in anything do it on tv do it as a mannequin do it in magazines. Yeah, it just shouldn't so, be a thing, should it? I mean, yeah. but if it is, I understand what some people are saying though. You, they're like, oh no, it's promoting obesity. You know, there was, I think there was a lady, I, can't, I forget the lady's name, she was on a cover of the magazine and there was a huge thing about it. Like, That's oh, right. she's I obese and it's promoting. And I was a bit like, oh darn, like she is extremely overweight here. And mm-hmm. if it was somebody who was extremely underweight, you would be saying you're promoting anorexia. So yeah. you do have a right to say that. And unless you are sort of suffering from a, a medical condition, then 
It is purely because you're eating too much or you're not exercising enough. I'm no skinny mm-hmm. person. Like I'm a size 10 slash 12 and my weight fluctuates. You know, some days I'll be a size 8, other days I'll be a size 14. <laughs> it depends how many Big Macs are. Uh, so, you know, and I think that's fine, you know, to be in between. But yeah. You need to be healthy. And I think what needs to be promoted is be healthy, eat organic food if you can afford organic type food. Just eat well, eat yeah, clean yeah. And, and do some exercise for your mental state of mind as well. And yeah, we shouldn't, I don't think we should be promoting, like, no, allow yourself I, I, to... Not the extreme, but I think you're absolutely right. Healthiness is, is the bigger thing here. And health can come in different shapes and sizes. Yeah. But I think that's the bigger thing here. You, that's what needs to be promoted. And it's, um, you know, you can you can have people on Instagram that might look absolutely amazing, amazing physiques, bodies, whatever. And they, you know, full well that they're not practicing what they preach. You know, they could be eating, taking fat burner pills or whatever to get that yeah. body that's not promoting a healthy lifestyle for me promoting a healthy lifestyle is very different yeah and it isn't i, I, I agree you know it's not all about the actual size of the person yeah, no. it's it's about what you're eating you could be a, a size 16 and go training all the time and yeah. you're eating well and you're just a size 16 that's the way it is i think if you're getting up to 18 20 yeah, and, and beyond you know there, there's something going wrong and but they need to look at that because there's something perhaps wrong you know w- with you you might be feeling depressed or mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. you might have some medical issue going on something deeper so people need to understand what is healthy not feel ashamed of the body be yeah. a size 16 if you want to be be a size six but put the right foods in your yeah. body get up in the morning do a bit of exercise yeah. and, and just live a healthy lifestyle and it never seems to be people talking about the health and i never you know people talk about oh we should eat organic food but it's not a real thing at the minute still i don't know how they are not saying what the difference between a free-range chicken and mm-hmm. an organic chicken is. Because in a free-range chicken, it is pumped with steroids. And I'm then going to eat them steroids. Oh. Uh, or it's, you know, it's got um, the, what they called antibiotics in as well okay. with, with your cows and things. And then I'm going to eat them. And then when I get tonsillitis, my antibiotics aren't going to work. How is this not a thing? that it we're talking about instead of being as petty as oh my god she's a size 18 yeah. she's so big i like, agree and when you and when you do pick up your food in the supermarket why why is there not a rule to make the ingredients a certain size like i've got 20 20 vision i have my eyes lasered i've got as good as you could probably ever wish to have i struggle to read a lot of the ingredients yeah. so think how someone 10 years 20 years 50 years older than me is going to see so why why and, is and there not a rule point, to do it's that still it still would just say chicken why does it not say it also it might say corn fed chicken, but mm-hmm. why does it not say corn fed and also been put with steroids and antibiotics? Yeah. But you know all these yeah, things. It's and very, yeah. it's only been <clears throat> I was a bit young when I had my first son, but it's only been since I had my second son. Now I'm just getting everything organic because I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, I've been I'm seeing the things through my partner's business and he's educating me an annoying amount. So he's putting me off all food. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> now I'm like, I really don't want to put that in my son's body. Like I do not want to give him that food. Why? Why is there not more help for? for farmers then or to bring the cost down because organic food is so much more even in your supermarket so much more so sure you know i know that farmers are struggling i know that the 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 margins are so much smaller than they were and whatever i'm not blaming them but surely they should get some sort of financial support from the government to be able to lower i mean if they just stopped all of the other inappropriate farming or at least Mm. all of the drugs or made people more aware of you have then got these drugs in your body so then people wouldn't i would make that investment because you're investing in your body like what bigger investment is there in your 
your life than in your own actual health. But I'm fortunate enough to be able to um, afford yeah. organic food. Not everybody can. But that even with Harrison now, he's supplying an awful lot of food and he's having to get it from four different farms, his wow. chicken, because no one farmer can supply the amount of food that he needs because wow. it's all organic. So yeah, yeah. they need more of these farms as well. It isn't, yeah. you know, and the people are saying there's a shortage of it. You know, we just need more of them Definitely. and less of the shit what they're feeding us and even now mcdonald's oh it's real chicken breast but what that chicken has been through before oh, it goes no, i don't want to think about it and though and i mean i love a chicken nugget though I, you mm-hmm. know i can't say i'm not guilty of it i will whack rack chicken nuggets but i know now what's in them yeah. and i just think there should be more education when people are at school and you learn pe and you'll be like this is my arms and my legs and you'll be like oh and also this is an unhealthy cow yeah. and this is uh well, that's it, isn't it? it's education i certainly didn't get that at school i don't know about you i didn't get anything no idea. anything like that smiling faces and beans like <laughs> do you know it should be a thing though yeah. shouldn't it I think yeah. again that's another thing at the minute which I'll probably have another fad in like four months or something but it is a thing what I'm passionate about because I think yeah. it is so important for people to understand yeah. and it might not necessarily make you put on weight by eating shit chicken or make you lose weight whatever but it's knowing what is in that body and then the repercussions of years and years yeah. it's like putting a diesel into a petrol for years and years it isn't <laughs> suited at some point it's gonna cause a breakdown yeah. somewhere isn't it and People, you should do a TV show about that. I would want. love oh, to. I would <laughs> love on. to. Okay. I'll come on and give everybody a lecture. Yeah. You need to eat organic. <laughs> I think no, I do. I think it's. Uh, I think it's really important. I think people need to stop focusing on the. Um, oh, he's a size eighteen, or and need to start saying like, oh my god, look at his internal organs, like oh, yeah. you know, and, and actually what is going on at a, at a deeper. Level. Definitely, I agree with that. Um, and my, my other subject, which I want to touch on you on, I don't know whether how much in the loop you are about things now or how much you keep your eye on the news, but it's the major subject at the minute uh, and an unfortunate one as well, which mm-hmm. is the knife crime in a beautiful capital city. And, you know, like what what can actually be done about this? You, I'm hearing all these things that they're putting into place and money being spent in places, but what, as a police officer who is served on the front line mm-hmm. do you think can actually be done about this well it's it's not something that that can be swept under the carpet i don't care what's going on it needs to be addressed first and foremost um and it's something i know a lot about you know we we dealt with so much of this when i was in the police and we were one of the first boroughs in all of london in fact all of the uk who had what they call a positive charge policy with a knife now what that means is if you're a first offender and you've you've done a minor a minor crime you could very often get a caution or a youth reprimand, you know, like a like a warning, if you like. And believe it or not, when I was in, knives did fall under that category. As long as you weren't stabbing someone, if you just had possession of a knife, you could be eligible for that. But where I was, they said, no, 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 you don't get that. You will get charged. I don't care if you was a first offender, prim and proper, never been in trouble with the law in your life, you will go to court over this. And and that's what we did. So I think that's a first a first step to make sure that they are charged each and every time. For having a knife. How and would you normally have found a knife on someone? Because I know Sadiq Khan has stopped the um, stop and search. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that was one of our primary tools, if you like, the stop and search. And now I feel so sorry for the police because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Yeah. And now, with everyone with mobile phones and cleverly edited footage that they choose to upload on social media, they, you know, if they're stopping and searching someone, then suddenly they're trying to be made out to be the bad guys. 
but that's that's how we would do it and you'd never just stop and search someone you would always have a reason there would yeah, that's the thing that people don't realize no no, no there's, no there's always there's always a reason um for, for for the search and you wouldn't just decide oh i don't like him we'll, we'll search him it doesn't work like that so straight away that that puts that one out um but it's it's something that that's that's one of the the, the greatest tools that we had um to, to use because that's how we found knives and, and I, I had guns knives knuckle dusters loads and loads of drugs but you in know, since swords. then it's like the, it's gone up swords swords yeah. People are mad. It's got, the knife crime has gone up. I, I can't remember the, the percentage now mm-hmm. since he's stopped that alone and he still isn't saying he, he's going to bring that back. And I think it's, you know, um, obviously you, you might get one bad copper and then you see mm-hmm. him on mm-hmm. social media or whatever and then he's giving everybody a bad name, which yeah. is annoying. But in general, I think police officers are there to do a job and yeah. most people respect them. If a police officer said to me, can I search you? I think you've got a knife. I'd be like, mate, I don't. But like whatever, if this needs to be done, because I wouldn't have an knife on me. So exactly. if they need to stop and search people and people understand this is because you were in the city now and it's going to be happening all the time, then people just need to respect that. Whether you're an old lady or a young lad or whoever you are, mm-hmm. they just need to understand this is going on and it'll kind of knock that on the head with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because they, uh, they tried to do a thing where they would uh, make everyone walk through like an airport style sort of security yeah. uh, arc if you like they and it just would see randomly if in the streets so they would plot up in the street and everyone that happened to be on that street they said you've got to walk through and that caused all sorts of controversy and again I'm like you it's like well if, if that's what you want I know I haven't got a knife so whatever and, and that's if you want to be kept safe though yeah um, but a lot of people didn't didn't like that because they found it very intrusive they found it against their human rights or whatever and oh, it's, it is it is a tough one because for me absolutely do it the same way when I get on a plane, if I have to walk through those security things to, to make sure that I haven't got anything on me, fine. Yeah. But I, it doesn't bother me. Like, I've got to they do it. They started doing it in Bolton, actually, because right. there was, um, they've stopped now. They did it. it was, it's tragedy they did because somebody got killed. Oh, God, it must be seven years ago now. Somebody who knew, actually, he, he got murdered. A young lad stabbed him. And so after that, then mm. they had them pop up things, what you were saying, right. and they had them on both sides of the road. And then it. You know, it's the only way you could get up or down the streets. So everybody was having to walk through. Now, I don't know how many of them they recovered, but there was just nothing going on. There, there wasn't even like fights in bars when this was really? going on, just because they really? had that such a strong yeah. police presence. Like the police are always about in the town, but that was really like, yeah. we're here to make sure nothing's going on. And everything just seemed to calm down a bit. And then it lasted a few months. Well, we went, I, I just... think that sort of thing's a good idea, but it's it's also the, the police officer I used to work with, we, we would be respectful. I mean, that's the big thing about this. It's also how you deal with people yeah. as much as what you're legally entitled to do. And I remember we had a uh, an incident, there was a, someone had threatened someone with a knife in a shop and run away and the suspect was described as 17 black with a, a black hooded top and the hood was up and we were driving along and sure enough there was someone that exactly fitted that description sprinting up the road away from that shop got out of the car and we i was plain clothes but we, we still stopped him we identified ourselves explained what had happened and he was going to be searched because we believe he could be the person with the knife. And he was like kicking off and he's like, I'm going to be late now. You know, you, you disrespect me, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I said, look, mate, this is the description. I got him to repeat over the radio. I said, that, that is what you're wearing. You are that age. You are that person. You've just run from that area. We're going to do this. And then where, where have you got to go? And he told us where he was going. I said, well, I'll take you. We'll take you in this car, this unmarked car. No one knows we're police. So we searched him. It wasn't him. 
and um, and afterwards, I was like, right, Jeff, jump in. And we took him in our unmarked car. We drove him to, to Lewisham, the next borough, and dropped him off at his, his music class, as it, as it happens, that he was going to. And as he got out of the car, he went, do you know what? Sorry about that, guys. You're all right. I, I didn't realise it was going to be like that. I'm sorry. The, but that is what it takes. And if every police yeah. officer... And obviously, police officers are going to have bad days, so they're not always going to behave in that way. But if every police officer, for 90% of the yeah. time, can be that Mostly respectful to people, to then them. I think... Yeah then it would be a lot easier for everybody to be like, to respect them back. And I, I think there's just quite a big divide as well at the minute between mm -hmm. the, just the lack of respect for police officers. And yeah. I think it is due to social media, like you were saying, and the editing yeah, uh, yeah. of videos, or non-editing of some, and people posting it and then you're seeing it and in your mind you're like, why are they allowed to do this? No, you're not mm. going to stop it. And especially for young people who might be part of these gangs anyway, even if they're not carrying a knife on them, they're going to give the police a load of grief. Definitely. And, and I, I had bad experiences when I was growing up. I, I was, um, so I'm mixed race, and I was one of only a handful of mixed race people that grew up in my town. And I was stopped loads growing up by police. And the majority of them were, had real attitudes. They were really rude to me. They they searched me, which now I know they, they had no right to do the search the way they did because I know the law and whatever. But I didn't use that to think negative of the police. I used that as a sort of to spur me on. So when I joined, to be not like that. Yeah. Because I knew what different. was a bad experience. And I knew now, like when I joined the police, I knew how I could do that so much better. Yeah. So I kind of used it to spur me on. Yeah, but that's because of the person who you are. Like people mm. in these gangs aren't going to be like, you know what? Well, if they <laughs> have a good experience, like, I, yeah. I think that would help though. Yeah, yeah. it would. And so, I mean, the needs change from both sides, but I think they definitely, I agree with this, with this stop and search. I can't believe it was ever, it was ever taken away because for me, mm. my safety for me and my children would come above the embarrassment of a police officer having to stop and search yeah. me and I would understand why and I would never be carrying a knife so because I'm glad to hear you <laughs> unless you really annoyed yeah. me <laughs> no, I would never obviously uh, I would never do that yeah. so I would I would be more than I wouldn't be more than happy I can imagine no, there'd be days where you're you just mean. like oh mate turn it in come on like yeah, I'm yeah. an old lady like who am I going to do anything to but you know they've got to treat everybody the same yeah. so if it, we all have to walk through their machines whatever it might be but things can't continue the way that no. it is because it is becoming this, I love, I love Great Britain. I am just a proper proud Brit. I will Good. never leave yeah, this yeah. country. And I love our capital city, but it's becoming a place now where it's feared and it's talked about around the world. It's like, this is what's going on now. Are we as bad as the knife crime here, as bad as the gun crime in America now? This is what mm. we're becoming known for. As I mean, that, that's really sad that you you, you say that. And, um, and I can't disagree that that's what, what's happening if you got Donald Trump tweeting about it and whatever from, yeah. from the States. But I think it does appear worse now, more so than because it's in the news. Every knife crime now is in the news where before we would have knife crime, serious knife crime that wouldn't even make the news. So why do you think that is so just I because think, it's like a popular topic? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. So I think I'm not disagreeing that the, the figures have gone up, but I think it's, it's actually showing how bad this country was at underreporting before. Yeah. So when I was there, we'd have we, we had uh, we had cases where people wouldn't even get anything. It wouldn't even be on the it barely in the local paper, let alone the nationals. And and, and so are the punishments tougher now than I think. I I think they're they're getting tougher. I think they are. I think there's still a way to go. But the the problem is every court is different, and every court can do their own thing. So when 
when I was in the police, we would use uh, a court in, in sort of central London, Southwark, by London Bridge. They would deal with all the crimes from Peckham and Camberwell and Brixton, and they were, they were used to high-volume crime. But they got so used to it, we would find people get quite low sentences. Yet if the same, if that court got too full, which happened quite often, and, and they would use like an overflow court at, say, Kingston or in Essex or Kent, Kent or somewhere like that, then those judges would be so horrified by that I same crime, they say, would give it, a big sentence. Is it because the yeah. judges are like desensitized yeah. now? Because I, I they've just have no seen doubt. it so, so many times. Like, oh, actually, there was once this happened, that's not as bad as that, and he got 10 years, so I'll yeah. give him seven. And that's how, how wrong is that? That yeah, I think so I think that, is that, can't, that how, can't so be the right. jury will say if they're guilty or innocent. Yeah. So a jury is is simply there to say exactly that whether you're you're guilty or or innocent, and the judge is sole job is to to pass the sentence. So then, surely the jury should do it. Surely the jury should then give guidance and say we want a minimum of five years and a maximum of ten years, and give their guidance. It would be nice for them to, to give their opinion because the jury are selected from that area of the court. So it'd be yeah, nice and, to hear well, that. And then they've found if they're guilty or innocent. And they're all from diverse backgrounds. Everybody's different on the jury, aren't they? And, mm -hmm. and, and then do they come from the area where the crimes are committed? No, well, it, 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 roughly. The jury's more local to the court, typically. Right, okay. Yeah. So so then, but then they're looking at it from fresh eyes. So, so yeah. they're always going to be as horrified. So it's yeah, like, well, it, I mean, it'll be, it'll be nice. I, I, I like that idea. It'll yeah, so nice, then maybe yeah. the sentences then, because they're always going to have the, oh, this is the minimum and the maximum that mm -hmm. they serve. But then if they can give like, whatever, a two year or a two month guidance on it, like it should be yeah. from this to this, this is what we say, because it's always going to be fresh eyes. Yeah. And lots of people deciding that as well, rather than just one person. Or even if the, the judge was to say, right, I'm thinking of giving a three year sentence to this offender, go and have a chat. And if you... and, and Give me your vote on whether yeah. you, you would agree or not. And if all the jury come back and say absolutely not, yeah. then then he needs to be like, oh, actually, yeah, I might have had too like much that. tequila last <laughs> night. <laughs> oh my god, we should run for politics. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right, Rob. Well, I think um, we we can call it a day there. Is there anything that um, you want to tell us about? What are your future plans? Anything you're working on at the minute? Um, on the sort of crime link, just. Um, in the summer, we haven't got a date exactly, but keep an eye out for it. There's a show called Ill-Gotten Gains that I'm working on at the moment, which is really good. It's, uh, it's all about what's called the Proceeds of Crime Act, which is where a criminal's convicted and they've already been sentenced. Oh, right, yeah. Then the, the court, actually, it's one of the good ones, lets the police go and take all the things that criminals bought with criminal money and auction it off. And that money goes back into the public purse. Oh, does it? Yeah. Do you know what? I was having this exact conversation, funnily enough, yesterday. And I was okay. saying, I wonder what happens with all that money when yeah. they take... Because I know they take like drugs and, and whatever off people, but sometimes they'll take like the jewellery. Yeah, so it's the all houses. like the, the house, the car, the jewellery, the, the designer shoes that the wife got bought, whatever it is, that can get auctioned off. And then um, the money will either go back. If it's, say, a, a mortgage fraud or something like that, then, then it might go to help the victims that have been defrauded. Um, but it could go back to build a youth club or a community garden ah, or yeah, it's, it's good, that, good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all on the channel. That? BBC One. Right, BBC excellent. One. Well, thank you very much. Ralph. Thank you. It's lovely having you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please remember to visit www.michaela-wayne.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave your feedback and don't troll. Today's podcast has been brought to you by WeConnect Construction, a lead generation website for the construction industry. Check it out, www.wconnect.co.uk.
weconnectconstruction.co.uk. It's decent.